Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have one with you, there's one on the back of the pew in front of you, or the verses will probably be on the screen behind me. You can follow along as we read verses 10 through 13 of Ephesians chapter 6. And while you're turning that way, let me just remind you where we've been over the past little bit. As we've studied the book of Ephesians in our Sunday school classes uh, over this last quarter, I've challenged you on Sunday mornings with the same themes that Paul wrote to the Ephesians about in his letter. In September, I preached to you about our identity in Christ. That is, who we are as followers of Jesus. What the Bible teaches us about ourselves as Christians. We are saints. We are alive, we are children of mercy, and we are made righteous in Christ. In October, we looked at what it means to walk with Christ. Not just who we are, but what we do as Jesus followers. How we live our lives and what that looks like to other people around us. We talked about what it means to walk with Christ in light, in truth. What it means to walk in wisdom, seeking Him and His will. And what it means to walk in humility. That is, lowering ourselves to serve God and others. For the next three weeks, I'm going to preach to you directly from Ephesians chapter 6 about the idea of spiritual warfare. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 13 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Now, before I expound on Paul's three challenges on how to stand firm in spiritual warfare, I want to invite you to take a closer examination of verse 12 with me. Because if we want to know how to fight in spiritual warfare, we probably need to understand a little bit about what spiritual warfare is in the first place. There is a war taking place around us all each and every day. It most of the time goes unseen by our eyes and unnoticed by our ears, but it is nonetheless very real. The struggle is not just a battle between forces of good and evil, like some abstract principles floating around in the universe. And it's more than just an inner conflict when you're faced with a decision. You've seen this pictured before with a little haloed fellow on your left shoulder encouraging you to do the right thing and a pitchforked red dude on your other shoulder telling you to do the wrong thing. Though those ideas touch a little bit on the conflict 
that is going on in our hearts and in the world around us, spiritual warfare is much more than just those pictures present. It entails a war between light and darkness, where God, very real creator of the universe and redeemer of those who place faith in His Son Jesus, rules in glory and radiance. It entails a war when the devil, God's enemy, not his equal, but somebody who is opposed to him, tries to thwart the triumph that God has already claimed through his son, Christ. The spiritual war encompasses all of God's creation. And it involves you and me, whether you want to be involved or not. In this war... Angels, very real beings, are sent to protect people and to minister as God's messengers. And demons, also very real beings, are sent out to suppress, oppress, and possess people, influencing them to stand against God or to run away from Him altogether. You and I are most familiar with this war when we face things like temptation to sin. You might see that as just your heart being evil and wanting to go astray or do something different than what God intended or designed for you. That is spiritual warfare. Peer pressure from your friends around you is spiritual warfare. When you are tempted to do something and you've got that little thought in the back of your mind or your heart you're tempted to disobey God or to go a different way. This is the struggle about which Paul was writing. You understand spiritual warfare when evil manifests itself in this world through tangible actions or words spoken by others to bring harm and destruction. You're even familiar with this idea of spiritual warfare when you see the grace of heaven break through somebody's hardened heart and transform their lives, and they are saved, they become a Christian. You might not have thought about those things in the terms of spiritual warfare, but there is a war going on. And this is what Paul spoke about in verse 12. It's not a battle between flesh and blood. It's a battle that takes place in the spiritual realm, and oftentimes manifests itself in the world in which we're most familiar with, that we see and that we hear. There are times that in this struggle, we're faced with the enemy. And we might not necessarily recognize him as the enemy. Let me think about this with me, if you will, for a moment. Jesus faced spiritual warfare directly. If you remember the story from Sunday school, Jesus had been baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit led him away into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, before Jesus began his public ministry, he fasted and prayed. And the Bible says that Satan came to Jesus at an opportune time and tempted Jesus in three specific circumstances and situations. And in each of those times, Jesus didn't take up a literal sword and start slashing at Satan, but he picked up the Bible, the weapon of our spiritual warfare, 
And as he quoted to Satan God's word, Jesus stood on the truth and he resisted temptation and stood against the enemy. But this wasn't the only time that Jesus faced spiritual warfare. A lot of times when you hear this word spiritual warfare, you think that's what the Pentecostal people do down the road. And that's not really the case. They're engaged in that battle just like we and everybody else on God's green earth is engaged and involved. You see, there was a time later, I don't know if you remember this story or not, but Jesus told his disciples, those 12 guys that were going to follow him, he told them that he was going to Jerusalem and the chief priests and the scribes were going to arrest him. And they were going to kill him. And then three days later, he would rise again. And Peter, one of his disciples, protested Jesus' statement, his prophecy. He said, Jesus, they'll never do that to you. Jesus, they got to come through me to get to you. You remember what Jesus said to Peter, his most outspoken and arguably his most faithful or favorite disciple? What did Jesus say to Peter? Anybody remember that? Get behind me who? Satan. Now stop and think about this with me for a moment. Peter was a follower of Jesus. Peter was not the enemy, but the enemy had planted a thought deep in Peter's heart and deep in Peter's mind. And when Peter went down that train of thought, he was standing in opposition to God's will. There are times in your life when you're going to be confronted with spiritual warfare and you just might not recognize all that's taking place and all that's going on. When you get in an argument with your spouse... Your wife, husbands hear this, is not the devil. And wives, many times as much as you'd like to think, your husband is a demon, he's not. We're people. But in a very real way, Satan wants to destroy that relationship. He wants to dismantle your home. He wants to destroy your lives. There are times, even in a church setting, that it might look like the, you know, the demon deacons of Wake Forest and college football, like they've just come in to take over the church. We've got a good group of deacons here, by the way. Thank the Lord for them. And there may be times that you get an argument with somebody in your Sunday school class about a theological point, or you might hate my guts because I've stepped on your toes a little bit too much after a Sunday morning sermon. Listen and understand, Satan will use people to distract you from God's purpose, just like God will use people to bring himself honor and glory. There is a battle and a struggle taking place all around us. And instead of fighting against each other, we need to understand that God wants us to fight against our enemy. Because if we're in Christ and we're walking with Christ, we have the same enemy that God does. Satan wants to destroy our lives. The good news is, if we're in Christ, Christ has already won. Satan cannot destroy us unless we just allow him to. And we allow him to when we don't engage in the battle in which we're already supposed to be involved. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul talks about spiritual warfare, that's what he's got going on in his mind. You understand kind of the sphere that we're talking about, this idea of spiritual warfare. So how do we as Christians stand firm in spiritual warfare? What do we do now that we know that all of this is taking place around us? 
Well, Paul challenged the believers in Ephesians chapter 6 three times. And I'm going to share these three challenges with, with you. We are, to, we are in a spiritual war, and God wants each of us to stand firm. So we stand firm, first of all, by being strong in the Lord. Verse 10, a very simple command. We sang about it a few moments ago. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The idea is that the Lord is the one who is strong. He is the one who possesses the power and might that we need to fight the battle. had a good moment of realization yesterday when I was watching the new Lion King with my kids. You know, I think they call them live action movies. They're different than the animated things. But really, they're just computer-generated stuff for the most part. So anyway, we, we watched the movie. And if you've ever seen The Lion King, either the cartoon version or the most recent that they've come out with, or maybe you've seen it on the stage in a live performance, the storyline goes the same. And there's a moment in the movie when the king's son, Simba, has taken one of his little lioness friends, Nala, and they've gone into this dark elephant graveyard. It's a place where Simba's dad, Mufasa, told them not to go. He told them to stay away from it, but you know, Simba, being a good kid or a good cub, just decided to explore this place his dad had forbidden. And when they get into this elephant graveyard, these little lion cubs find themselves surrounded by hyenas, their enemies. And they're trying to run away so that these hyenas don't eat them. And Simba, the little lion cub, it gets cornered. And he growls with his little cub. And the hyenas laugh at him. It's, just, it's funny. And one of them says, hey, hey, do that again. And so when he starts to growl, I wish we had a sound effect that would just make you pop out of your seat, but we don't. When Simba growls the next time, Mufasa, unbeknownst to the hyenas, has come up behind them. And when Simba opens his mouth and the hyenas think there's going to be a Row! Mufasa roars. And the hyenas are scared to death. Paul's command, his challenge to be strong in the Lord is to be strong not in yourself but in God. He's the one who has victory over the enemy that we're facing. If we try to fight this battle on our own, we will lose. I mean, think about it. This battle started and began for the human race a long time ago when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden. He told them that in that paradise that they lived in, that they could eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden, save one. He said, don't eat the fruit from this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. In the day you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Satan, disguising himself as a crafty, sneaky serpent, came up to Eve and tempted her to eat the fruit from that tree. And Eve ate, and she gave to her husband, and he ate also. Folks, if Adam and Eve, in their innocence, failed to obey God's word, we in our imperfection and sinful nature, are going to fail every time. We're just going to. Don't think this is a war that you can win on your own. But don't fail to remember that this is a battle that God will help you win every time. If you'll trust Him. If you'll be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. 
The truth is, you and I were not meant or made to fight the battle of faith on our own. We do need to personally own our faith. That is, we need to trust in God's Son, Jesus. And we need to know that we believe God has the power to defeat the evil around us. But that does not mean we seek victory in spiritual warfare in our own power. There will be days when you don't have the strength to serve as God's commanded. That's when you ask God to supply you with the strength that you need so you can serve Him and others. There are times when you don't have the wisdom to make a decision. That's when you ask God to pour out His wisdom so that you have the knowledge you need to make the Christ-like choice that has a profound positive impact on the world around you in His eternal kingdom. Sometimes you will not have the courage. That's when you go to Christ and find it in Him. He'll give you the spiritual muscle you need to attain personal victory in spiritual warfare. The truth is that you and I as Christians do not fight in order that we might gain victory. We fight from the victory Christ has already claimed. Remember that old hymn we began singing at the service this morning? O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. The victory Jesus has already won when we choose to be strong in the Lord. When we pick up His strength, He wins every time. Jesus has already conquered sin, death, hell, the devil, temptations, demons, the world, and everything in opposition to God when He died on the cross and rose again from the grave. Remember some of the last words he uttered as he was hanging there on Calvary were, it is finished. It's done. The triumph is here. You don't wage war so that you have a chance of winning. You trust in Jesus so that you are assured the victory. That's what it means to be strong in the Lord. When you choose to be strong in the Lord, you won't lose because He doesn't lose. Our problem so many times is that we choose to fight the battles on our own. We think that we can say no to our friends when they're encouraging us to go the wrong direction. We think that we have the knowledge and wisdom to make the hard decision when we're faced with it. We think that we can muster up the courage to follow Christ regardless of what other people around us think. And that we have it all figured out. But the truth is, that's when we lose the fight. And the devil knows that. That's why Paul said to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Stand firm in spiritual warfare, first of all, by getting your strength from the Lord. Second, in verse 11, stand firm in spiritual warfare by putting on the full armor of God. Although next week I plan to share with you in detail a description about the pieces of the full armor of God, I want to just give you the two general categories of the armor that is mentioned in verses 14 through 17 of Ephesians 6. So that you can understand why Paul told 
these people to both put on the armor in verse 11 and to take up the armor in verse 13. Those commands sound similar, but they're a little bit different. So let's just think about this. The first category of armor is the armor that you put on or the armor that you wear. Paul gives this command in verse 11. Those pieces of armor are the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of peace. They're listed in verses 14 through 15. The primary reason you put on the first category of armor is to be ready to protect and defend yourself. Think of a Roman soldier in the battle camp. He doesn't have his sword drawn in his hand. But as a soldier ready to fight, he has on his belt with the sword sheathed right at his side. The second category of armor is the armor that you take up or that you hold. Those pieces of armor are the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. They're listed in verses 16 and 17. The primary reason you pick up the second category of armor is to oppose an active attack from an enemy. Think of a Roman soldier on the battlefield. He doesn't just have his belt on with his sword at his side, but rather his sword is drawn in his right hand, ready to fight off an oncoming attack and advance. The command in verse 11 is to put on the full armor of God. That is, we as Christians need to clothe ourselves in battle attire so that we are able to stand firm against Satan's attacks. Because they will come. The New American Standard Bible that I read the verses to you from uses the word schemes at the end of verse 11 to describe the devil's attacks. The King James translates the word wiles. We don't use that much anymore, do we? Other translations use words like methods, tactics, or strategies to describe how Satan works. The point is that Satan is always looking to gain an advantage at the weakest point. He's a crafty creature. Sure, the devil might not be the smartest guy in the universe. I mean, he's opposing God. He's going to lose. He's already lost. But I want you to re remember that he's not the stupidest person in the universe either. He's cunning. He's crafty. He offered Eve a delicious fruit and she chose to obey. He got her distracted enough to believe his word over God's. He tricked Cain into triumphing over Abel by murdering him secretly in a field. He tempted King David with beautiful bathing Bathsheba and the two committed adultery. Satan does not know everything, but you can bet that he knows the best way to get at God is to get at the thing God cares most about. And that is the people whom God has made in his own image. The people for whom his son Christ Jesus died. That's you and that's me. It's not that we're the center of God's universe. It's that God loves us and Satan knows it. And if Satan can't beat God, he's going to try to beat the people that God loves. Satan seeks to kill and to steal and to destroy. He'll come after you sooner or later. The best thing that you and I can do is to be ready both sooner 
and later. The Apostle Peter gave a similar word of warning and a charge to be ready for Satan's attacks. Listen to these verses. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Peter said, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Those verses provide us with some encouragement as we put on the armor of God and spiritual warfare. First, we're not alone. The devil attacks others too. That's encouraging because we can stand firm against him together in Christ. When Paul told these Ephesians to put on the armor of God, he didn't just say, fight against the devil by yourself. I think he pictured in his mind a group of soldiers standing in rank, ready to oppose the evil one when he came their way. Second, others have fought the fight and stood firm in their faith. They've achieved victory through Christ. Just listen sometime to others who have been there before you, to their stories as they share about how God helped them overcome temptation to their stories as they share that God gave them wisdom in the midst of confusion or that how God helped them have the courage to obey when nobody else would step up and do what God had said. The same God that gave those people the strength to withstand Satan's schemes is the same God who gives you the armor you need to stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in spiritual warfare, secondly, by putting on the armor of God. You've got to be dressed. You've got to be ready to go. And then the third challenge in verse 13. Paul says that he wants these believers to stand firm in their faith by taking up the full armor of God. Simply wearing the armor in case of an attack does not go far enough for an encompassing spiritual defense. I mean, think of the baseball playoffs that just occurred. You've got folks that don't get to start the game. They sit on the bench until their manager calls them. Now, they need to be dressed in uniform and ready to go, right? In case the manager needs them to come out of the bullpen and pitch an inning or two. They need to be dressed in uniform and ready in case their manager tells them to hop up off the bench because they're going to pinch hit for somebody. But have you ever seen a pinch hitter walk up to the plate without his helmet on and a bat in his hand? Why? It's a simple question, but why? He's got to be ready. Can he hit the ball without a bat? No. So this is why Paul says don't just put on the armor of God, but take it up. The armor that's listed to, to be taken up, I've shared it with you, and I'll talk about it a little bit again next week, but it's the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. A shield that is not picked up cannot protect a warrior in war. A helmet that is not worn does not guard a person's head. A sword stuck in its sheath does a soldier no good in the day of battle. That's why Paul gave this command in verse 13, take up the full armor of God. 
Engaging in spiritual battle should not be a matter of if, but a matter of when. Satan will come tempting you, pressuring you to give in, pulling you to turn aside, pushing you on to retreat. Are you prepared to pick up your weapons and fight in the day of battle? Now I want you to notice something before you get all gung-ho and you're like, man, Jake, yeah, I'm ready to, man, you just give me a water pistol and I'm ready to take on the eternal flames of hell with that water pistol. This is not the attitude that Paul wanted believers to have in spiritual warfare. Paul wasn't looking for people who simply wanted to fight. He wanted people to be watchful when the fight came so that they would continue to stand firm. That phrase, stand firm, is used three times in this context on spiritual warfare. Verse 11, verse 13, and verse 14. Contrary to the word walk that Paul was using earlier to describe our Christian lifestyle in Ephesians, the word stand does not mean to go and advance. It means to stay planted and to retain. In spiritual warfare, our job is not to go on, a, on an offensive assault for Jesus. Our responsibility is to defend the kingdom over which Jesus is already victorious. Our problem many times is when we start thinking, I can go out and do all of these things for God, and God, look what I've done for you. When in fact, all God is asking us to do is obey the orders He's already given. That's where we find victory. Bob McNeil, one of our Sunday school teachers, had come by the church office earlier this week while he was preparing his Sunday school lesson. And, uh, and he said, Jake... What, what do you think about the kingdom of God? That was a big question. But I told him, I thought the kingdom of God is everywhere that God rules and everywhere that God reigns. And I want you to think about that. Think about this carefully with me for a moment. Is there any place or is there any person over which Jesus has not claimed victory with his death on the cross for sins and his resurrection from the grave. The truth is, there's not. Jesus has won the war already. Everything belongs to him. The kingdom has come. We're just waiting for the king to show up in his fullness so that we can experience the fullness of victory. We have to continue to fight in spiritual warfare, but it's not to attain a victory that God does not already have, because we already have victory in Jesus. So you might have the thought, well, if Jesus has already won, then why do we have to keep fighting? Or if, if Satan has already been defeated, then why does he keep fighting? What's the point of all of this spiritual warfare? Think about this with me. In World War II, when the news had begun to spread across the conquered territory of the Third Reich that Hitler had committed suicide and that the Allies would soon be present to fully dismantle this world empire, loyal members of the evil regime continued to murder Jews in concentration camps. They continued to execute enemies of the state and in some cases, they even fought against the Allied troops on their victory march through Europe. 
Likewise, the allies, when they knew victory was there and had already been claimed, they didn't instantaneously drop their guns, get on boats, and go back home because it was all over. Rather, they continued to press on. They liberated labor camps. They took soldiers from the enemy as prisoners. And they ensured the safety of the people was somewhat back in order. Jesus has already won. There is a day coming when Jesus will return to this earth and the fullness of his victory will be realized. We don't stop marching because Jesus has already won. We stand firm over the ground which Jesus has already claimed. We proclaim the freedom of forgiveness to those who are still chained to their sins and enslaved by Satan. Not because we can save them, but because Jesus has already died on the cross for their sins. He's risen again. In Christ, their salvation is finished. Our duty is simply to take up the armor of God, faith, salvation, and His Word, and stand firm proclaiming victory in Jesus until He returns to fully establish His kingdom. And it's there that He will reign forever and ever. Thirdly, we stand firm in spiritual warfare by taking up the full armor of God. Have you taken up God's armor? Have you put it on? Have you made the initial decision to be strong in the Lord and not in your own power? There's some of you who are here this morning, you're already in Christ. You've given your life to Him, you've Ask forgiveness of your sins and trusted Him to save you from your sins. And He's the master that you serve now. But you have failed to remember that you are in a war, a spiritual war. And you need to stand firm by being strong in the Lord, by putting on God's armor and taking up the armor. There's others of you who are here today. And perhaps you're in this war, but you're on the wrong side. Instead of being able to resist and overcome temptation, you give in every time because you're living your life to please yourself. And what you don't realize is that Satan has distracted you from the design for which you were created. You weren't made to please yourself and do whatever you want. You were made to honor God and worship Him in the way that you live. And this morning, the best thing that you can do is surrender to God. Is to give up. Is to stop fighting against Him. But say, Lord, I am so tired of trying to live my life on my own. And waging a battle against you that I can never win. God, I want to find victory in Jesus today. Maybe just where you're seated, you need to pray God something like this. God, I know that I've been fighting against you. And God, I've sinned so many times. God, I surrender my life to you. And God, I give up trying to rebel against you. Would you save me from my sins? Would you help me to find victory in Jesus? And God, would you put me in service as a soldier in your kingdom to stand firm in your strength? To put on and take up your armor. 
Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning? I trust that God has spoken to your heart as His Word has been preached today. I'm just going to challenge you and invite you during these next few moments as this song is played to respond to God as He has spoken to your heart today. Maybe you as a Christian need to stand firm in spiritual warfare in areas where you haven't been. Maybe you, as someone who is not yet a Christian, needs to surrender your life to God and stop fighting against Him and instead choose to trust His Son Jesus to save you from your sins. I'll be standing down here in the front if you need to come and speak with me. This altar is open if you just need to come up here and kneel in prayer before God. As God calls you this morning, will you come to Him?